Red Rocks Church, how we doing this weekend? Good? I love it. We're going to have an awesome weekend of church. It will not be awesome if we don't say hi to all the other campuses. So Littleton, help me over here. Say hi to Arvada and Evergreen and Lakewood and across the pond. Not yet. Across the pond at Brussels. We love you guys. All the Facebookers and podcasters, all you power walking at the gym this week, listen to this message. We love you guys too, but get to church next week. Uh, Just saying. Uh, And let's do this. You guys know what's next. Let's give the most gracious welcome and round of applause to all the men and women at our God Behind Bars campuses. We love you guys so much. Yes, such an honor to get to worship with you guys. I have some incredible news for you. Uh, We are starting week one of a new series, right? Wait, don't be that excited. You're supposed to be sad that such a dynamic and powerful four-month series called Live Free is over. No, that was what it was, and we're going to talk about freedom in every message, no matter what series we do. We are, however, starting a new series based off of Sean's, and it pains me to say, but what a beautiful, hope-filled, eloquent, incredible message. Did you guys not love the Easter message last week? He did such an incredible job. I think I got saved all over again. If that's possible, it happened to me last week at Easter. And so we decided when Sean and I were talking this week that we're going to start a series based off of the tagline that he kept using. Remember, the tagline was this, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. But what he meant that his disciples and family members didn't understand when they were watching him be crucified is when he said, it is finished. He never said, I am finished. In fact, he said, I'm just getting started. When he said, it is finished, we read it in John 19.30, what he was really saying was the work to procure your salvation and my salvation, the work that it takes for you to be in right standing with God, that you on your absolute best day of pious and religious living could never come up with yourself, I'm going to do for you with my sinless and innocent and divine blood, right? That's what Jesus said, it is finished. They thought he was saying this movement, this beautiful three and a half year moment in time that they had with Jesus, this this incredible rabbi, they thought he was saying it's over and so they all went home sad and started grieving and they all went back to their jobs and their families and Peter and the fellas went back to fishing when they were called to not fish for fish anymore but to fish for men. Jesus said it is finished but he said actually we're just getting started and so three days after they thought it was over through the breath and the power of the Holy Spirit Jesus gets air in his lungs blood running through his body again. He gets a new indestructible incorruptible body like we're going to have someday and he for 40 days, the Bible says after Easter, goes and shows himself to at least 500 eyewitnesses, a bunch of which were, guess what, his disciples and his family members and people that were closest to them. And he looked at them and said, hey guys, listen, this thing isn't over, it's just getting started. And so what we're going to do for the next three or four weeks is we're going to go, okay, that sounds nice. That sounds really hope-filled and beautiful, but what are the implications of that? What does it actually mean when Jesus said, we're just getting started? And so what I did, knowing that we were going to talk about this, is I said, okay, what's that even mean chronologically? So I just looked and I just listened to what Jesus had to say to them first. And after he got them fired up again and said, it's not over, we're just getting started. Are you guys ready to go? I picture all the disciples and Mary Magdalene and Mary, his mother, and all the other people gathering around and going, yes. Well, let's go. Come on. What do we do? Tell us what to do. And Jesus is like, all right, you want to know what to do next? And they're like, just tell us. We'll do anything for you, Jesus. He's like, all right, here's what you're going to do. And they're all fired up. And he goes, you're going to wait. 
<laughs> wah, 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 right? Like one of the things humans are absolutely worst at, right? Waiting. He goes, I want you to go to Jerusalem, the mother city, right? Where all this got started and where all of it's going to come to this beautiful ending. I want you to go there and I want you to get a room together. There's about 120 of them that were in on this mission. And I just want you to pray in unity. And I want you to wait. And here's what I want you to wait for. You're not just waiting for anything. Because when God tells us to wait, it's never passive. It's for always something greater. He says, I want you to wait for this, the Holy Spirit. And they're all like, what? That's weird. He's like, no, there's, there's this helper. That's what, that's what it actually says in John 16. You can go read it. There's an advocate, some of your Bibles will say, or helper. And here's what this Holy Spirit is going to do. Jesus is going, if you thought it was cool, guys, that I was around you for three and a half years, just wait for the rest of your life when I'm not around you anymore, when I'm actually in you. My spirit, my thinking, my ways, and even cooler, my power is not going to be around you anymore for you to go, I'm with him. Now it's going to be like, he's in me. And now I get to do the works that Jesus came to do and corporately will do them, Jesus said, even greater together than he did them. And this is what he says, I need you to go and pray and I need you to wait. In other words, I don't want you to do anything in my name without the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit's going to come, Jesus said, and he's going to help you in everything you need help with in life. He says he's going to guide you. He's going to be your guide. In other places, he says he's going to be your counselor. And Lord knows we're all, we all need counseling, right? He's going to be your wonderful counselor. And he's going to do this. He's going to give you peace when you should have no peace because you guys are going to be put in some really precarious positions for my name. And guess what? He's going to be your joy when everybody else says you shouldn't have any joy because of your circumstances. He's going to be your joy. And guess what? He's going to do nothing but continue to show you my will on planet Earth until I come back the second time. So you're going to go and you're going to wait for this precious and this blessed Holy Spirit. And so they finally go, okay, and they go to Jerusalem. And we get to this book in the Bible called the book of Acts and in chapter 1. And the Bible says that they were all sitting there and they were all praying together in one accord. And so we're going to do this. We're going to talk this week, starting off this series, we're going to talk about if we're just getting started because of the resurrection of Jesus, then the first thing we have to talk about is the first thing Jesus talked about, and it's the Holy Spirit. But that's problematic, right? Because there has been nothing more under, misunderstood, excuse me, there has been nothing that has caused more divisiveness and more trouble in the body of Christ than misunderstandings about this beautiful gift from God called the Holy Spirit. And so what a bunch of churches do, and we could do this too sometimes if we're not careful, is you, you love God because he's, he's, he's the God of love, right? You love Jesus. You get Jesus because Jesus is all about grace, right? But then you get the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit's friendship comes this thing called power. And again, humans are notorious for misusing power, right? We're notorious for misrepresenting what real godly power looks like. And so the Holy Spirit has been unfortunately blamed for a lot of things that we should blame each other for in the church world. And so what a lot of churches and denominations do is they put the Holy Spirit in a tiny little neat box where he can't get us in that much trouble. If we're not careful, we dishonor without even meaning to the Holy Spirit by trying to contain him. 
by trying to downplay his power in us and through us. What we do is we marginalize the Holy Spirit. We suppress the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't teach it well enough. We misunderstand it. And then all of a sudden, the greatest gift you'll ever be given in this lifetime isn't able to do what it was created to do. The power of the Holy Spirit is what we're going to talk about. But that's a dangerous proposition again because there are so many misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. I know I started to have huge ones when I was about 25 years old. And some of you relate. I was on a traveling school assembly team. We went all over the nation. I, in a couple years, had the privilege of talking to probably almost 200,000 high schoolers in two years. All we did was travel all over the nation. We'd go to huge cities, major metropolitan cities, and talk at huge high schools. And we would go anywhere they would take us. So sometimes we found on what I would call a missions trip. Like we're in the backwoods of Alabama, man. And it was crazy. My wife is from Alabama. And I love telling people that um, I married a woman from out of country. And so she's an immigrant. And they get the job done. That's for those of you who've seen Hamilton. Go see it if you haven't. It's amazing. But anyways, moving on. Rabbit trail number one. We go to this church while I'm on this traveling school assembly team and they brought us in and we would go to these school assemblies and we would give them a a really hope-filled message but we couldn't talk about Jesus in the public schools and so what we would do is hopefully have a cool enough assembly that they would come out to the church that was hosting us that night and then we would actually preach to them the gospel of Jesus and most of the time they would keep us over for Sunday and let us do the Sunday service and so we're in the most backwoods craziest small town that I have ever seen it was about 30 miles south of Auburn Alabama Um, I'd be fine to never go there again and we go to the church and here's the rule about the Holy Spirit when you go to a church that has a a bunch of titles in its name you're going to go to a crazy church okay so this church was like the rolling hills of of South Alabama shepherd of the mountains apostolic Um, and then once it says this you know church is going to be crazy spirit filled um, and then whatever else it was but once it says spirit filled they're letting you know hey we're going to embrace the fullness of anything and everything and probably more than the spirit's about and so we go to this church and I even grew up in a Pentecostal denomination but it was pretty conservative compared to what I saw. Now, my Southern Baptist friends, I would bring them to church on the weekend. They thought I was in a cult, right? They're like, you got, bro, you're in a cult. I'm like, I know, right? I don't know what all that is. But when I go to this church, it made our church just look prim and proper and tame. And so I'm at this church and my buddy's up there doing the preaching and our whole team's sitting on a pew together. We're probably 10 rows back and they're having a worship service before he starts preaching and it just gets crazy. And I'm not judging saying any of this is wrong. If people do this for the glory of God, great. I just wasn't used to this. There were flags twirling everywhere. Ladies were dancing. All of a sudden during one song, something triggered something in the guy in front of me and he literally went and he got out of his seat and he started running sprints around the church (laughs) sanctuary and he did it like six or seven times and I didn't know till after the service I'm like what just happened that I wasn't even worshiping Jesus anymore I was just like (laughs) and me and my friends are like what in the world we were like starting to about take bets on like his lap time by like lap six I had never seen anything like this. So although we were having fun, I wasn't directing my heart to Jesus in worship at all. I'm just going, this guy's amazing. I want to meet him. (laughs) Little did I know this was in the Pentecostal world, 
in Alabama, what they call a Jericho sprint, right? Because there's a story in the Old Testament where God commanded the Israelites to march around the city of Jericho seven times and then shout, and then the walls would come down and they would overtake their enemies. So there's a lot of metaphor there. And so that guy got so fired up about some lyric in the song that he needed some walls to come down in his life. So he did seven sprints around the church. And I'm just sitting there like, what? And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I, all right, I've, I've learned enough to know I need to, I need to make this about Jesus, not about this awesome dude in front of me. And so Jesus, I'm just going to start worshiping songs playing again. And all of a sudden two rows behind me, the most precious, I didn't know she's a little old lady at the time. The most precious little old lady pulls out this ancient Israeli instrument called a shofar. Any of you know what that is? I do now. I didn't before then. She pulls out this shofar and I'm just worshiping God and I'm like, God, again, that guy was so awesome. I hope he sprints again. But right now I want to put my hope in you and my worship to you. And right as I'm praying this and the song singing, she just goes, and I literally go, oh my God. It was two rows behind me pointing right at me. And if you understand how loud this was, I literally, my heart's sputtering. And now I'm not having fun anymore. Now I'm just mad. Now I'm just like, this isn't cool anymore. I, there's no worship involved here. And I literally turn around because I don't know who it is. And I give her the, this stare. I'm like, and it's the most precious old lady. And she like, I don't, I'm trying to be nice here. She has, um, what's it called? March Madness teeth where you're down to your final four. <laughs> I heard that. It's March Madness. I had you, sorry. No, I turn around and I'm red faced and I'm mad. And she just goes, and I go, now I'm not even mad at the shofar lady. She scared me to death. I love her. I want to hang out with her afterwards. And I'm just sitting there and I'm going, what kind of place is this, right? And it's all spirit-filled church. It's all in the name of the Holy Spirit. We just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit down here and whatever he does, we do, and that's good enough for us, right? And I'm sitting there going, okay, well, uh, this is weird, but all right. And then the, the, my buddy preaches, and we always did this at the churches we went to, and it was a really special time, and we always look forward to it. He would have our team come down at the end of the service and say, hey, we're just going to stick around after service, and anybody that needs anything, we just want to pray with you, say hello to you, we want to minister to you and serve you. And so so we go down and I'm just sitting there again, pretty new believer. And I'm a 25 year old kid and I'm standing there and down comes this guy and his uh, mom, aunt, wife, sister, maybe all of them. I don't know. It was odd. And I go, how are you doing, sir? My name's Chad. I'd love to pray for you. And he, I go, what, you know, what can I pray for you for? And he goes, you, you pray for me, I got a vertigo. And I said, I'm so sorry. What did you say? Goes, you pray for me, I got a vertigo. And I was like, yeah, I don't. and she goes, could you pray for him? He's got the vertigo. And I go, oh, vertigo, okay, I'm so sorry. And I said, sir, and I meant this, so just so you know, I meant this from the bottom of my heart. I said, sir, I have such compassion for you right now because the little I know about vertigo is like you're in a low-grade constant state of dizziness and nausea, and that like for me is the definition of, of hell. And I just want you to know, we're going to pray. And every time Jesus was healing people, the Bible said he was compelled with compassion. And so he just had to heal people. And I said, I'm just going to pray for your healing. Do you believe that? I said, because I feel such a strong compassion of Jesus right now. And he just doesn't say much. He just looks at me and she said, yeah, you can pray for him. And so I put my hand because I've just seen other older, more mature people and pastors do this to, to look powerful. I put my hand on his chest and all I could say was Jesus. I just said, Jesus. And this has never happened before. And he just goes, and he just falls over. And I'm like, now I've killed a man. <laughs> so we got sprint guy, shofar lady, and I've literally just killed a sweet, innocent man with vertigo. 
and I'd never been in this environment. I'm just like, what's going on? And all of this in this church the whole week, all they talked about was the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit. And we just do whatever the Holy Spirit wants. And I'm like, is this really what the Holy Spirit is? And I simply tell you this to say this is that all over at all of our locations right now, when you start to bring up the Holy Spirit, everything changes. Guards go up. All of a sudden, there's this baggage with God, because again, we get God the Father, the God who is love, and we get Jesus, the God of grace, where we get a physical, historical picture of what God's like. But then all of a sudden, you get this unseen spirit, and it's like, what do we do with this? And, 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 and humans will always misuse, under the guise of the power of God and the Holy Spirit, will misuse power for their own glory and their own attention if we're not careful. We all, every one of us, I've done this before, have the propensity to do that. And so I want to start with that because some of you may even be coming back from Easter and this is already weird to you, but I want to say something. Sometimes, and we're going to see this in just a minute, sometimes when the Holy Spirit is most active in your life, you're going to do some weird things. Some weird things are going to happen. I'm not saying necessarily the stuff that happened to me in that church in Alabama. I'm not saying we're going to turn into that church before y'all freak out. I'm not saying that, but I would like to say this. If the Holy Spirit compels me and empowers me to do anything and it's God ordained, I hope I obey. Because the one thing that we miss when we marginalize and we keep the Holy Spirit in a tiny little box because we're afraid that we might act out and be off-putting to some people, the one thing we might miss is this fact, there's no greater gift than the Holy Spirit. No one has your best interest in mind more than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. He is the mind of God. He is the mind of Christ. He is what compels us to do the will of God. The Bible says this, since we're in a year of freedom, let's read it, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is what? The Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, here it is, our word, there is what? Freedom. Why would we want to box in? Why would we want to try and contain? Why would we want to downplay? Why would we be embarrassed? Why would we never want to bring up the Holy Spirit, this blessed person in this mysterious trinity of ours that we get to celebrate? Why would we want to box him in when he has our absolute best interest in mind? If you need freedom in any area, the answer always is the power of the Holy Spirit. You understand that? And so Jesus looks at those people and he says, before you do anything in my name, I want you to be full of the power of my spirit at work in you. Otherwise, trying to do stuff for me is going to go real bad and look really silly. So I want you full of the Holy Spirit. So go and wait. And they wait. And then all of a sudden it happens. You can go back this week and read it in Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two. All of a sudden, you know what happens? Weird stuff. All of a sudden, they're sitting there, and they're praying, it says, in one chord. And it says, like, I love this, a mighty rushing wind. And that's the first metaphor to help us as humans in our finite thinking. That's the first metaphor for us to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Because here's the deal with wind. You can't see it, but it moves things. You can't see it, but it is an undeniable force, right? We've seen what it could cause, the damage it can cause on planet Earth when it is out of control and not working the way it was originally intended to work. We see tsunamis. We see tornadoes. We see hurricanes. We see all of these things that are product of wind being out of control and causing widespread damage. The wind is powerful, and when it's used right, it can be harnessed to create what? Energy, right? 
That's, that's when, when it's being used well and when it's being harnessed right, it creates energy. And, and it says a mighty rushing wind came in. And wind is the first thing that teaches us about the Holy Spirit. Because you can't see him. You don't know where he comes from. You don't know where he's going. But when he shows up, powerful things happen. Energy in your heart and in your life starts to take place to new degrees. And then it says it gets even crazier. All of a sudden, a mighty rushing wind, and I don't know what that would have looked like happened. And it says, here's what happened next. Tongues of fire. That sounds a little crazy, right? A little backwoods Alabama stuff happening here. Tons, it says tongues of fire looked as if they were resting on their head. And here's what I know about fire. Because this is another notorious metaphor for the work of the Spirit in our life. Fire, we just assume, is, is something that's destructive. But fire's ultimate goal is not to destroy things, it's to refine things. It's a purifier, you understand that? And so here's what the Holy Spirit's job is because we still have flesh and we still have the residue of sin even though we're freed from it through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's job is to come like a fire to overshadow you and I and to burn away all the stuff that has no eternal value in our lives, all the stuff that's trying to destroy us, all the stuff that's trying to damage us, all the stuff that will not go with us to the other side of eternity. The Holy Spirit's job is to come and consume that with his power and fire. But everything that is eternal, all the good reasons you and I were created, every bit of God's image that we bear, all the purpose he had for you, all the gifts and talents that he puts in each one of us, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to destroy that with fire. The Holy Spirit comes to purify it. We call it sanctification in the body of Christ. And it says, tongues of fire sat on their heads and it gets even crazier. Now all of a sudden they start speaking in other languages. They were speaking in tongues and it was the week of Pentecost. So people from all other tribes and literally different nations had come from all over the place to celebrate this once a year celebration called Pentecost. And all of a sudden, these people on the outside of this upper room where they were praying could hear them praising God in their language. And here's what the Bible says they were saying on the outside. Aren't all these people Galileans? Galileans don't speak multiple languages. They're speaking languages and then they list all of the names of all of these different languages. And they could literally on the outside of this upper room where they were having this church service gone crazy, could hear them honoring and worshiping God in their language. And some people instantly put their faith in God because of that miracle. And then the masses, though, they just couldn't figure it out because it's otherworldly and weird. And so you know what they said? I think they're hammered. <laughs> I think they're all drunk up there. To which I ask, I, Mom, I'm sorry, but in my 20s, I was drunk quite a bit. And... Uh, I never was bilingual when I got drunk, unless <laughs> slurring counts, right? My early 20s mom got saved and everything changed. But uh, sorry, I'm very, I love my mom. So she's like, oh, no, son, right? But I, they literally, the Bible, you can go back and read it. The Bible says that they literally thought they must be drunk up there. And Peter starts to catch on and he's the leader and now he's full of the Holy Spirit. And so that guy who for three and a half years did nothing but keep screwing everything up in the name of Jesus with a really good heart, now all of a sudden he's full of the Spirit and he walks out there and he preaches his first sermon ever and 3,000 people give their life that day and are baptized that day because of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. And you know what happened first? Some really weird stuff. Thank God they didn't contain it. Thank God they didn't stop it. Thank God they didn't put a little box around it to try and make sure that the culture thought it was okay. 
And sometimes Red Rocks Church, if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in arranging church in a way that is so acceptable to everyone in our culture that we forget that the only hope for the culture is the power of the Holy Spirit, not cool services, not great screens, not cool stuff. Listen, we're going to be excellent in everything we do because it's worship to God. Make no mistake about it. But all of that is in vain. If at the end of the day, we don't bring people through these doors that experience not coolness or a good service or a good talk or dynamic music, but they experience the very real power of the Holy Spirit, because that is the only thing that can change anybody anytime. The Apostle Paul said in First uh, Corinthians 4.20, he said, the kingdom of God's not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. Who cares about a sermon if this sermon isn't followed with some power this weekend? Y'all should fire me if that's the case. There should be some power of the Holy Spirit in this church. We don't need another talk. We're in the podcast age. We're, we're talked out. We know way more about God than we have the ability to live out. We don't need more talking. You know what we need right now? We need the power of the Holy Spirit who has your best interest in mind to loosen and change and break every chain off of us that keeps us burdened to the things of this world. That's what we need. And so Peter goes out there and he tries to say, hey, listen, we're not drunk. The Spirit's here. And I want to introduce you to Jesus through the power of the Spirit. Let's read Acts 2. He goes, Peter stood up with the 11 and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And I love what he says next. He says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. And I thought next he'd say, because we're Jesus people, we don't drink. It's not what he says. He says, it's only nine. (laughs) give us time all right prayer meeting first and then grandpa's cough medicine all right you calm it down out here you calm it quit judging us all right no I don't know the implications of that uh we all have different feelings about that I don't know what he was getting at all I know is what Peter said and he said it's only nine in the morning right and then he clears it up he goes okay here's what's really happening and everyone there because they came for Pentecost Every good Jew there knew what Peter knew by heart, this prophecy from Joel, because this prophecy is so full of hope, and this prophecy is so full of inclusivity, and this prophecy shows that God isn't just for the rich people, and God's not just for the people that are astute and that are professional and that have all the plaques on the wall and that have done something with their life. This prophecy says that God's for everyone. Peter says, no, here's what's happening in the upper room. That spirit that the prophet Joel prophesied about. Remember what he said? Peter quotes him. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on who? All people. And there were all kinds of poor, oppressed people there that served God faithfully. And they're going, I matter now. Because of Jesus, I'm actually going to have a voice. Because of Jesus, I'm actually going to matter. Because of Jesus, I don't have to live according to the world's systems anymore. I can walk in a new degree of fullness. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters, it's not just the old people that have lived a bit that can walk in the fullness of God. It's young people too. Young sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. It's not just for young, strong people. Old men will dream dreams too. Gentlemen, you can retire from your job, but you don't retire from walking in the fullness of your purpose until you breathe your last. Old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, the lowly ones, both men and women. In a man's world, this was said. Men and women. 
It says, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. That gets a little weird. We'll talk about that sometime. Uh, the sun and the, will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of our Lord. And then he finishes by saying this, and this is so important, Red Rocks Church. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The highest manifestation of the work of the Spirit in any person, in any place, in any church, in any city, in any nation, is that salvation is taking place, that the masses are crossing over from death to life. This is why we are so fundamentally committed for 13 straight years now, and I hope till these doors shut someday, we are committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus and seeing more and more people come to know Jesus, seeing heaven get more crowded, seeing people cross over from death to life and be born again, because the highest, most important thing that that you were created for was not just to be saved and redeemed by God, but then go and be a living epistle, a living witness so that somebody else can be saved and redeemed by God. And so he says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I find it so interesting that of all of the things they thought was taking place, they thought they were drunk. And here's what's really interesting to me is there is a biblical correlation between being drunk, literally with wine, and being inebriated with the Holy Spirit. There's a crossover there. Let me show you what I mean. In Ephesians 5, Paul says this, 5, 18 through 20. Do not get drunk on wine. Why? It leads to bad decisions. That's, that's the modern definition of debauchery. Really, really bad decisions that enslave you. And although it may feel fun in the moment, you wake up the next day and you're in a whole lot of trouble. Although they f feel fun in the moment, you wake up the next day and you got a whole new degree of slavery that you're now bound to and have to work through. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. And so Paul says, listen, I understand the temptation to get drunk on wine. Peter definitely does because he's doing a little bit after nine. <laughs> but here's what Paul says is, listen, I understand this is a chaotic world. Because some of you, you do this, you, you tip the bottle too much. And, and, and it's not because you're a horrible human or you're a bad sinner. It's because life is crazy. And the fastest thing you can do when you get home from that hard day of work isn't to be filled with the Spirit. You know what's way easier in the moment? To be filled with wine. Not to bless your soul, not to change your soul, but to do what? Numb your soul. Numbing your soul is way easier than having your soul refilled and refueled with the Spirit of God. One, you can do in a few sips. One, it takes intentionality. It takes faith. It takes trust. In the process, it takes you having the courage to sit through some really difficult times and trust that God's going to work, right? So Paul could have talked about overeating. Paul could have talked about overspending there. Paul could have talked about drugs there. Paul could have talked about uh, an overwhelming sense of materialism where every time life gets tough, you just go buy something new and it makes you feel really good for a minute or a day or a week or a month. And then all of a sudden you got to go buy something new again. Pick your drug. He happened to choose wine. That must have been the problem of the day. But the point is simply this. We are notorious in this world for numbing ourselves, not freeing ourselves. And Christ came to set you free. He didn't come to numb you from the chaos of this world until he comes back a second time. He didn't ask us to escape from this world. He asked us to get neck deep in the middle of it, Red Rocks Church, and be an agent of change. But you can't do that when you're still just doing nothing more than numbing yourself to get through tomorrow. And the only way we can change from being inebriated on wine or shopping or overeating or we could do a long list of drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, the only way we can replace that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me let you in on something you already know. You don't have what it takes 
to not live a life of constant numbing. This world will eat you and me alive. I feel that every day. You think there's not some days I want to go home and just tie one on and forget about it? Happens a lot. You think, you know how, my big, my big drug is food. You know, do you know how many times I go to the refrigerator and I think of the verse, cast all your cares on me because I care for you? I look at that refrigerator and I picture it saying that to me. <laughs> and I get out the milk and then I go and I get out my, my Captain Crunch and I just sit there and for a few minutes I feel amazing and I get that sugar high and I just feel like my problems are solved and my day wasn't that tough and then all of a sudden the crash comes and I'm more bound and I'm heavier than I was before and I got to have more tomorrow to be happy again, right? That's my thing, but we could fill in the blank. Some of you it's alcohol, some of you it's sexuality, just constant sexual immorality, just going pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Some of you, it's gambling. Some of you, it's pornography. I mean, we could do a long list. Paul even lists one in Galatians 5. But, but the point is simply this. Don't get drunk on wine. It leads to debauchery. He says, instead, be filled. That you can translate that word inebriated. He's not saying don't be drunk. He's saying pick which way you want to be drunk. And here's how you want to be drunk. On the spirit. That's how you want to be drunk. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And here's just a few of the ways, not a bunch of the ways. Here's a few of the ways we do that. We speak to one another with words that build people up, not tear them down. We speak to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. We don't just sing arbitrarily here when we're done preaching. When we start to sing, it's because we are getting inebriated in the Spirit so you can walk out here drunk on freedom, not numbed in your soul. If you saw how you all, ask the parking team, this will prove it. If you saw how you all drove into our places with our crazy parking situations versus how nicely you pull away from church, you can't tell me the spirit can't get you drunk and happy and feeling lighter and having a little more patience and a little more joy and a little more kindness. Because I promise you, if we filmed you all coming in versus coming out, there is a distinct difference. And I'd like to think when we start speaking hope to you and we all as a group start singing the glory of Jesus together that all of a sudden we're not numbing our spirits anymore. We're filling them with the spirit of God so that we can go out and face another week before we meet again. You know what I'm saying? That's what he's saying here. He's saying sing, speak hymns, songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And this is key to being full of the spirit. If you want to walk in a constant infilling of the Holy Spirit, you want to, after a tough day or to start your day off right, you want to be full of the Spirit, he says this, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you fast forward, and I didn't plan this, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 16. Here's what Paul says in another place. He says this, rejoice always, always, in every circumstance, right? Rejoice always, pray continually, And then listen to this, give thanks, how often? In all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's not because God's not trying to be disingenuous. Like, Like that's not God saying when life's rough, just act like it's not, fake it till you make it. Just be thankful, even if you don't. No, he's saying the thing you need most when life is roughest is thanksgiving. It literally fills your spirit and gives you the power to walk through that difficulty, the different than the rest of the world will. You won't numb anymore, but instead you'll have the power and the faith to walk through that the way you are. And then what's he say next? Put that back up there. He says next, do not quench the what? Some of your Bibles will say this, do not put out the Spirit's fire. And when we're not walking in thanksgiving, we put out the Spirit's fire. We quench the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And so I wrote here in my notes, if you think being drunk makes someone weird, try being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because here's how weird you're going to get when you're constantly a person that is walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Here's how weird you're going to get. You're going to start doing st- crazy stuff like this. You're going to start praying for your enemies and forgiving those who have really offended you. You're going to all of a sudden, that deep-seated anger you have to that spouse that cheated on you, all of a sudden, you're going to see them through the lenses of the Holy Spirit and the way the Holy Spirit sees that adulterer. You're going to see them with love and you're going to forgive them. doesn't mean you're excusing them, but you're going to have the power to forgive them. And everyone that doesn't know about the Holy Spirit is going to look at you and go, why would you forgive that scumbag? And they may not get it and they may think you're weird. And they may say, what are you, drunk? Why would you forgive him? And you go, I'm actually drunk on the spirit, but that's another sermon for another day, right? You won't get it. But yeah, that's exactly what's happening. I'm inebriated. I'm filled with the spirit. All of a sudden, here's what I did so many times. Band, come on out and save us. Uh, Here's what I did so many times in my early 20s when I was, sorry, mom, again, when I was drinking quite a bit as a dumb college guy. Stop it, college guys. Uh, We would go every now and then periodically and we would have to test our manness. And so we'd go and get in a stupid fight. Either one of us, you know, someone calls each other out. We're all drunk. We're not thinking. We get in a fight or we get in a group fight, fraternity fight, whatever it was. We'd go and we'd get in a fight. That's what young, dumb dudes do, right? And so we get in a fight and, and people that weren't drunk and watching were just like, what are these idiots doing? You ever seen that? And you're just, you just, everything about it feels wrong and gross. Now, now here's what happens when you're inebriated and you're drunk on the spirit. Here's what you do. You don't fight people. You turn the other cheek. You want to talk about weird behavior. People be like, what are you, drunk? Why wouldn't you fight back? Look what they're doing to you. Look, look how they're coming against you. Why wouldn't you fight? How do you stay silent? How are you, how are you doing that? What are you, drunk? And you're like, yeah, yeah, kind of. I'm filled with the spirit and I don't feel compelled to fight back. I've got this God who's going to actually fight my battles. Vengeance isn't mine anymore. I've been freed up from that. I don't have time to waste on fighting these arbitrary, silly human things anymore. Now I'm going to walk in the power of God. That's what being filled with the Spirit does. It makes, all of a sudden, I I can't tell you how many times I've gotten to experience people having this testimony life. They go to the doctor and they get that test sheet and, and the test sheet is just full of scientific data and fact. And then they come back a month later and they take tests again and now the doctor comes in with a sheet and it's unexplainable scientifically. And it's weird. And it confounds people. And God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, did what Jesus did all the time when he was here. He heals your body. And it's beautiful. And it's amazing. And it should happen all the time at our church. And it should happen way more often at our church than it does. And if it's not, I have a hunch we're probably still in our own little Red Rocks way, boxing in the Holy Spirit to more than what he wants to be and should be in our lives. And I don't say that condemningly. I feel no condemnation. And I'm the one that should take the blame for it. I'm just saying, let's go. 2018, we want more freedom. We're going to have more of the Holy Spirit. And now I've created a lot of tension because some of you are going, okay, I get your point. But what's that mean? What's that look like? Because I'm trying in this area of life and I still keep failing. And I'm trying to stop dating fools and I keep dating fools. And I'm trying to stop looking at that pornography and I keep looking at it. I keep saying, no, I'm not going to do it. And then I get alone and I just feel compelled and I do it again. And I feel disgusting about myself. And I'm so sick of that cycle. I feel like I'm bound in chains, Chad. So this Holy Spirit talk is nice, but what do I do? And I think we sometimes, because sin is so complex, we think God's answer is so complex. 
Listen, God never was meant to make life complex. Sin is what has came in and made all of our issues so dramatic and complex. Not God. We blame him. We question him. We overthink him. He's just a God of childlike faith. He says, you want the fullness of my kingdom? Don't overthink it. Don't don't make it complex. Act like a six-year-old. He says this, listen, he says this, and I'm wrapping up with this, I I promise. He says this, it's so much more simple than we want it to be. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He says this, for everyone, everyone, you qualify. Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open, and then he gives this beautiful little analogy. He says, which of you fathers, and I'm a father four times over, so I totally understand what he's saying here. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? I thought, I'm gonna do that sometimes just for fun, but, but I get what he's saying. <laughs> or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion, because that would like kill your son, right? Like, like that, right? If then... Though you are evil, he's not saying you're a bad father. He's saying by holy standards, we're all evil, right? Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven, you ready for this? Give the Holy Spirit to those who simply what? Ask him. And I do not believe, and you can theologically argue with me. I won't argue back. I will turn the other cheek because I'm drunk on the spirit. I can't fully theologically explain this mystery to you and I feel no pressure to try. But I can tell you this, I believe there is a constant cycle of refilling and rebaptizing of the Holy Spirit. I believe it's not a one-time proposition. I believe the Spirit fills you at salvation. But Paul says in Galatians 5, we're to keep in step with the Spirit. We already read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that you can quench the work of the Spirit. And so here's what that tells me. And here's what I do all the time. I have these get alone moments with Jesus where I'm just praying and calling out to God like a little kid for a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit. And can I just tell you, all I can tell you is my testimony. For 20 straight years, God has faithfully done it. He hasn't always done it in the time frame, and he hasn't always done it in the way I would have thought. But every time I have called upon the name of the Lord and asked him to give me a fresh baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit, he has always met me where I'm at. And he is always gracious filled me to overflowing again. And I want that for us. My son's six-year-old, his name's Benji. We call him Little Farley. And he this week did something that changed our relationship forever. He asked me for a Charlie Blackman jersey. Chuck Nasty is one of my favorite players in baseball. Top three right now for sure. I love Charlie Blackman. Oh, no Rockies fans in our church? Okay, whatever. Sorry, Charlie, you deserve better. I love Charlie Blackman. I love everything about his game. And my little six-year-old who's just starting to ask about baseball, which is my passion going, I love baseball, all right? I promise you. He asked me for a Charlie Blackman jersey and I downplayed it. And I'm like, yeah, son, I'd love to get you a Charlie Blackman jersey. We'll do that sometime. He went to school. I came to work. I tried to work for a couple hours. I couldn't work that long because all I was thinking about was the Charlie Blackman jersey. So I got in my car and went across the street to the Southwest Plaza Mall. I walked right into Dick's Sporting Goods. I went straight to the Rocky section. I went straight to the kids section. I found the uh, purple Charlie Blackman jersey that I love and thought Ben would look good in. And I bought it for him. And on the way out, I didn't just get him the jersey. I got him two packs of Big League Chew as well. Come on. Come on. 
It's that Ephesians 3.20 Sean talked about, exceedingly abundantly, more than you ask or think or imagine. And I went home before school was out and I just laid it on his bed and I put the two packets of Big Lee Chew and I went back to work. And I wanted him when he walked in his room coming home from school to see that jersey. And, and here's, what, here's what I'm getting at. When he wanted something that I wanted for him even more, do you know how fast and excited and passionate I was to go right there and use my resource that I have to get that for him? It was my honor. I had way more fun than he did. He was kind of shocked when he came home and it was there. And I was like, I was giddy. And who, he's the son, I'm the father. Listen to me, when you get to your wit's end and you don't have any more answers and you don't know any more human solutions and you're exhausted from trying in your own strength to make things happen and to have uh, that deliverance take place in your life or to be freed from that thing, God will wait for you to exhaust yourself to where you finally, like a little six-year-old, go, God, would you just please fill me with your spirit because I don't want to do that anymore. It's killing me. And I've tried everything and I can't stop looking at that or I can't stop dating that type person or I can't stop drinking the alcohol when I get home from work or fill in the blank, whatever it is. God, would you help me? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit to give me that supernatural power to do what I couldn't do on my own? And God is like, yeah, 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 I'll take care of that. I've got a little resource. And I don't know the time frame and I don't know how, but here's what I know. I've seen God faithfully for 20 years free people and deliver people when they finally got to their wits end and just called out like a little child. So we're gonna do that for the next few minutes. Would you guys stand at every campus? I don't care about being weird. I don't care about what happens in this moment. All I care about is your freedom. As one of your pastors, I take your freedom deeply, deeply serious. You understand that? Your freedom matters to me. I prayed for your freedom this week. I fasted for your freedom this week. I want nothing more than for God to do what a sermon can't do and what singing can't do. I want God to come down and I want the power of the Spirit to really change us. I don't want to play church. I'd rather just go do something else with my life. I don't want to play church. I want to come here and see the power of God. But He will let you get desperate. He will let you get to your wit's end before you finally see that deliverance you keep hearing Sean and I talk about. He'll let you. Or you can, like a little kid, just say, I trust it, and I'm going to ask. So all we're going to do for the next 10, 15 minutes at every campus is we're just going to start singing beautiful worship to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you will cry out to God and say, God, will you give me a fresh filling? a fresh baptism, a fresh wind, a fresh fire, whatever you want to call it. If you will give me a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, God, because I want to walk out of here free and I want to walk out of here as a testimony to other people about what God can do when his power is alive. Are you guys good for that at every campus? Let's worship.